0: Welcome to the Aesthetic Entrepreneurs GSD, the number one podcast for aesthetic and beauty business owners who want to get stuff done and become the entrepreneurs the world needs them to be. Many of you out there are uncertain, overwhelmed, and confused about this thing called business. Where there's uncertainty, we give you comfort. Where there's overwhelm, we create calm. Where there's confusion, we provide clarity.
1: There we go. Right. Okay. And three, two, one, we're off. So uh, welcome everyone to Aesthetic Entrepreneurs Get Stuff Done. Um, we have a special this week, Secrets of our success with dr simon ravichandran simon welcome
0: thank you for having me richard i appreciate you calling it secrets of our success you can never forget that i didn't do this on my own
1: absolutely secrets of our success Everything is always a team effort so for, for those of you who don't know simon um he has wonderfully in great preparation sent me a, a bio which i shall read for you Simon Ravichandran, MRCS, is a global key opinion leader in aesthetic medicine. His area of expertise is in using non-surgical techniques such as botulinum toxins and dermal fillers to achieve natural looking harmonious rejuvenation outcomes. Simon lectures and teaches at educational events all over the world, delivering his philosophy that we can improve patients' well-being and quality of life with safe and effective procedures. Simon was awarded Medical Practitioner of the Year in 2018. Now, that's the bio. So let me put a little bit of context to that. So I've known Simon for many, many years, longer than I care to remember. Um, he's a top guy. And one of the things that I always know about Simon is Simon is at the top of his game. So for those of you who listen to my podcast frequently or listen to anything I say know that I talk about different business Type. So you've got boutique businesses, then they grow to lifestyle, then they grow from lifestyle to performance, then from performance to high performance, then from high performance to chain. And Simon and Emma, his wife, Emma Ravichandran, who also works in the business with him, have actually been through pretty much all of those steps. Am I right, Simon, that you went from kind of boutique or a lifestyle business right the way through to the, the, the business that you have at the moment?
0: I, yeah, I would agree with that. We started off as a very, very small, sort of sole trading type business, and we've progressed through the various levels that you've described. And uh, yeah, we now are we're at the stage where I think it's fair to say we have a chain. We have we have four clinics that practice regularly, four four sites, four venues, and we're we're really at the stage now where after. You know, a little bit of consolidation for a year or so just to settle down the growth we've had over the last 12 months and make sure we're still still standing. We're looking at um, options further further afield. Um, had a meeting, a very interesting meeting with a very interesting person just a couple of days ago who is very keen on helping develop the Clonetics brand internationally. Um, bringing it over into Amsterdam, I've got ideas and some options, and people that we're talking to are interested in taking it into Portugal and Doha. These these are things that are you know certainly feasible once we just decide. One, do we want to do this? Is it something we need, and is it something we want? And and then if we if we tick that box, then yes. Well, how is it going to look? What's it going to look like? So. We've gone from this stage where we're wondering about how do we get a client to come and allow us to do a treatment to how do we shape a strategy, a model, a plan and implement it to have an effective business working for us thousands of miles away. So it's been a very, very interesting journey an educational journey learning at every step of the way still learning every day it's
1: been a wonderful journey to watch because um I mean just on an aside when you do open up in Amsterdam let me know I'll definitely come out there I'm not going to be doing much work but let me know um but we (laughs) it's been great watching watching the journey unfold and you know while I've been sort of faffing around with different businesses you and emma have both been incredibly focused and disciplined actually in the way that you've approached the uh clinetics brand and grown but you touched on a couple of interesting things one you know from getting one customer through to shaping uh, a, effectively a business strategy so how do you get i mean in your view how do you get a customer and you taking it right back to to bare bones what's your sort of philosophy on how you just get that one person through the door
0: it's uh, it's about messaging it 's about communicating the message that you have in a way that the customer understands so it's it's finding finding the gap in between the customer and yourself uh, so let let me try and explain that in a simple way say for example we've just been on we've been on a course we 've got some basic qualifications we know uh, how to do three areas of toxin. And lip fillers, which is pretty much all I knew how to do when I started doing this about 12 or 13 years ago. Now, the instinct is to start advertising a treatment menu to people in various venues to say, "Hey, I can do three areas of toxin and lip fillers. So let's let's get it on." But that that doesn't work very well. What you've got to do, or what we felt that we needed to do, was put ourselves in the patient's perspective because the patient doesn't know what three areas of toxin is and the patient doesn't know or has preconceived ideas about what lip filler is. So what we've got to do is ask the patient. So do the focus group, do the market research, talk to friends, family, anyone you can speak to and find out what do you think about the services that we offer and what is it that you want from the services that we offer And then you create a sort of a point in between, which is the the proposition that you give to the patient. So we don't say, I can do one, two, or three areas, come and take your pick. We say, we know that wrinkles are bothering you. We know that the appearance of aging is depressing you and getting you down. And you know what? We've got some solutions that just might be of interest to you that might help improve your appearance and improve your quality of life. So that's the fundamental step is not selling the service that you have or the commodity that you have, but finding out what it is that the patient wants and offering them something that they can engage with and find out more about. So that's how we get patient number one. And then patient number one talks to patient number two and say, you know what? These guys. They didn't tell me I needed two areas of Botox. They didn't tell me I needed a syringe of lip fillers. They asked me what I wanted. They asked me what my aspirations were. They spent a lot of time figuring out what the best thing they could do for me was. And they took into account everything. My age, my health, my finances, my social life. And then they made a treatment that worked for me. And the friends have gone, oh, well, that's great. That's really good. Let's try these guys out. So you start building up a basis, a client base that grows by word of mouth. And it grew rapidly by word of mouth based on that value proposition. What you're putting out there for potential customers to engage with, to relate to, to bite into. That
1: make sense. It ab- makes absolute perfect sense, Simon. I think it's, you know, it's great to hear that. And the, you know, the outcomes from that, obviously you, you grow because you're incubated or ins- insulated from market changes because you're effectively selling yourself and your capabilities, which is what we want to do. Um, and you can change whatever, you can move to products that you want to do different products. Different, you're not tied into anything particular because it's just, promoting you which is what i think everybody should be doing and i would imagine that nothing has changed in that philosophy all the way through your business
0: essentially you're right uh pretty much that is exactly what we continue to do we've increased the size of the envelope Mm. we've added more treatments The more we've added, the more we've realized that what we were doing back in the first three or four years was not suitable to actually really provide the patients with what they needed. So the the typical progression, basic Botox, advanced toxins, advanced dermal fillers, there's only so much you can achieve with that. Then there's mastery of the basic techniques and then there's the addition of chemical peels. Let's start thinking about how can we improve the skin quality? Is that with topicals? Is it with lasers? Is it with microneedling and then device-based medicines, your radio frequency, more advanced things come around like threads, like PRP. There's so much that we can add to the, the, the offering that we have for our patients. But nowadays, you know, we, we, we look at a patient and we, we don't create, okay, let's, We don't say, let's give you three areas of toxin lip fillers. We know how long that's going to last. We know how long that's going to last. Come back in six months. We'll do it again. Mm. You can create a journey. You can say, you know what? Your skin, your face, your body is aging in so many different ways. And with the best will, the best intention in the world, my syringe of toxin is only going to address one of those things. My dermal filler is going to address one or two of these things. Now, after we've had our discussion, our chat, I've really got into your head to some extent. And I kind of figure that what you want isn't a temporary improvement in your appearance. You want a long-standing treatment plan that's going to keep you looking the way you want to look for years to come. So, sure, let's do a bit of toxin. Let's do a bit of fillers to get you started because this is what you've come in to ask for but you know you need to be aware that there's so much more that we can do let's start taking care of your skin let's start thinking about repeat treatments let's start getting you in every three or four months just so we can have a look at you a chat it's free there's no obligation i'm not going to sell you anything but what i am going to do is we're going to have a chat and see how you're getting on how you feel about your appearance is there anything we could be doing to add to it and by building these lifelong, you know, these long standing relationships where a patient comes back in every three months, every four months, they might see one of the therapists and I'll say hello to them in the corridor. They'll have, we do a fantastic phototherapy treatment that practically every single patient alive is going to benefit from. It costs nothing to them. It's so, it doesn't cost much at all. It's so easy and there's no risk to it. So they keep coming in and getting these. So everything that we're doing is bringing them back to the clinic to develop and strengthen the relationship that they have with no longer me, no longer Emma, but the clinic, the staff, the brand. So that when it comes to, they say, right, you know what, I'm not scared. I'm going to go and ask Simon. I've, I've, I've read about liposuction or neck tight or this advanced treatment or this new thing. I'm going to go and ask Simon and see what he thinks. And I'll give them an honest answer and an honest opinion developing that trust and that relationship and planning the the long-term treatment journey. So everyone knows what they're going to get, when they're going to get, you know, it's going to be fluid. I'm going to change my mind in six months when I see them just a little bit, but I will change my mind. They know that and they trust that. And it's the trust that is probably the singular most important thing that you can give a patient. It's Good for them. Their outcomes will get better if they trust you, and it's good for you because they'll come back and they'll tell their friends they trust you.
1: You heard it here. That was literally just a blueprint on how to actually grow an aesthetic business. A um, business. I think we're done. That's brilliant. Thanks very much. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, I think that's a blueprint on how to grow our aesthetic business. Yeah, of course. But you've got to remember. You know, there's so many different levels of practice out there in the field. There's people who pitch to a different audience. There are people who are happy doing specific treatments. People do not need to have clinics like mine. I don't want them to have clinics like mine. There's only room for me (laughs) and Clinetics and our team.
1: So uh, you mentioned a few things to pick out. So you kind of, again, in that you you talked about three sort of things, really is like creating conversations with people, building relationships, converting those relationships to trust, which is essentially where they purchase. And, you know, you've been in this market for for a long time. What, what would you say the key changes have been, you know, in, in the UK aesthetics market?
0: Well, there's been changes that you see from our side, from the professional side, uh, the technical changes and the legislative changes. And then there's the changes, I guess, that we've seen from the patient side in terms of what they now expect. And where they are prepared to go. Mm-hmm. So let's let's think about the technical things. There's there's been a huge amount of innovation. What I can do with a syringe filler now is completely different to what I could do with a syringe filler 10 years ago. So we have become technically so much more skilled in the use of our products to get more natural, holistic rejuvenating outcomes. Uh, essentially we're just so much better at it now than we were 10 years ago so that's been a phenomenal change and the introduction of multiple treatment modalities the concept of normalizing treatment journeys rather than providing one-off services that's changed the way that we practice and if you're not embracing that i really think you should consider embracing it as a fundamental tenet of your of your business model then we've got the legislative changes. And this probably isn't the right place to go into the legislative changes. But as we know, in the UK, we, we have a different approach to the rest of the world, uh, for good or for bad. You know which way I think it is. But, you know, the field is open to anybody. And because the field is open to anybody, the, the degree of training a practitioner requires is essentially non-existent, which which makes it risky for patients. It increases the risk of poor outcomes. It increases the risk of adverse events, infections, uh, scarring, potentially, you know, vascular necrosis, blindness, all the sorts of things that can go wrong. The chance of that happening is going to be much higher in an inexperienced person with a lack of knowledge. So, you know, there are steps to introduce education training legislation but you know we're on a slow burn there i think we've still got five ten years before anything definite really happens that's going to make a significant difference from the patient perspective what's changed now this is interesting i was actually just writing a uh, writing an article about uh, essentially the approach to lip fillers and we go back 30 years ago when lip fillers, just from a purely aesthetic point of view, uh, was a status symbol. Mm. You know, the rich and famous of Hollywood could afford lip fillers. So that's where we saw it. And then we have this celebrity celebrity mimicry. So the very wealthy, the very famous people, maybe not the Hollywood stars, but if you had enough money, you'd go and get the treatment done because It was a status symbol. You wanted it to look like it's been done. And that trickled down. Now, with technological advances and changes in the way we manufacture the products, we've gone from collagens that had short lives in the tissue and required patch testing and a high rate of allergic reactions to hyaluronic acid gels, which were first animal-supplied, then non animal supplied, and the technology of the HA gels has changed, that we now have products that are essentially easily manufactured Some of them are safe, some of them we don't know, but they're cheap and available. And because they're cheap and available, everybody can look like their favorite celebrity. So there's been a normalization of just, you know, just to take one thing, lip fillers. Mm. And what's worse is there's been a normalization of lip fillers getting larger and larger. Because the more you have, the greater you, you know, the better you look. They think, oh, look, look at me, my, my beautiful, huge lips. Yeah, I'm looking at, not because they're big. They look strange. So there's a normalization approach. Now, this is kind of, it comes and goes, but right now for the last four or five years, we've been in a stage of uh, bigger is better, bigger is better, bigger is better. So there's been this public perception about the young people getting big lip fillers, ruining their faces, looking terrible, Uh, a concern about unscrupulous practitioners performing these procedures. I I don't know who's doing it. And, you know, there's an ethical approach and there's obviously unethical approaches to everything. So I'm not going to criticize anyone who's doing these procedures. But the perception of normality of appearance has changed. And I think that's the biggest culture shift from the patient perspective. Mm. What I do and what we do in our clinic and what other people like us do is try and rein in that and we bring normality back to what normal should be and we bring attractive back to what attractive should be but at the end of the day there's there's so much we can do and it's going to depend on our patient demographic 45 year old patient a 35 year old patient is mature who's uh, intelligent who's articulate they're going to want a natural look an 18 to 25 year old patient if you treat that sort of patient they're going to have different aspirations from treatment and there's a a worry, or not? There's a, there is a clear worry in the older age group when you, they come for a holistic consultation, and you say to them, "You know, your lips could do with just a tiny bit of filler." And, oh no, 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 no! I do not want any filler in my lips because I've seen mm. Love Island, I, I've seen Celebrity X. You know, yeah. I'm like, oh god, how do we, how do we do this? How do we explain that I am going to make you look amazing without making you look artificial? So the whole thing from both sides, the professional side and the patient side, it's kind of a fluctuating balance. You know, one side goes up, the other side goes down. There's always arguments and counter arguments and conceived ideas. And we've got our scientific basis of what looks natural and what we should be doing. And kind of riding that wave, you know, it's like a, a rocky sort of uh, a beach or, 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 you know, a Uh, a strip of ocean where there's waves going up and down and you've got to stay flat and level in the middle and make sure you balance everything out.
1: Yeah.
0: That's the hardest bit.
1: I think balance is, is an, is an interesting word in, in the UK aesthetics market. I think it's, it's balanced on a lot of things. You're absolutely right. You know, the societal changes over the last few years, I mean, you know, you know, I've been involved in the filler market since I actually kind of came into the sector with, Selling, as you called them, collagen and then hyaluronic acids. And I think for me, it's they replaced, almost replaced breast boob jobs as the kind of show pony for uh, what you could have done. So when we could um, you could get uh, a a set of new set of boobs on finance, everybody did. It was nice and easy. You had the then all of a sudden we have the credit crunch, the finance tap gets turned off. You can no longer get access to that kind of procedure. There's a little bit of a lull. And then all of a sudden now it's the, the lip, as you said, you know, the lip treatment, which is now becoming the sort of lip treatment. And then you have the bag and all that kind of stuff that goes with it um, as a sort of demonstration of status and wealth in a certain market, certain demographic. Um, things always go in, in phases, right? So what, what do you think is the next phase? What have we got to look forward to?
0: Oh, I really, really hope. And you know, I, I'm fairly, I'm fairly optimistic about this. I think we're going to see a return to normality. I think there's been um, enough media coverage recently to highlight the fact that having having, it's not just big lips. Okay, it's it's big lips with hyaluronic acid done badly, so they look terrible. Because you can have big lips that look great but they look terrible, so badly done lives. I think I think we're going to become more aware of the fact that it looks abnormal, it doesn't look right, and I really want to see a drawback to aesthetic medicine as a whole really representing a field of medicine where we can improve people's quality of life by making them look a little bit better, reversing some of the i Signs of aging, reversing some of the skin conditions that can occur, like uh, simple scarring, acne, acne scarring, hyperpigmentation, melasma. You know, improving skin condition, improving lost volume from the face that we get with aging, to an extent reversing photo aging and uh, lines and wrinkles and resuspending, but making people look natural. I don't want to make a six-year-old look forty. It's stupid it's ridiculous it doesn't work but you know what you can look great for 60 and generally good aesthetic medicine should be able to make a 60 year old look great for 60 Mm. and you should be able to make a 40 year old look great for 40 and i think most 20 year olds you you can do little things you don't need fillers you don't need toxin for the vast majority of people you know you can throw these things away what do they need generally just a little bit of skin care Mm -hmm. That's aesthetic medicine. When it's done properly, we can make people look great for the age they are without making them look artificial. And that's what I really hope that we'll be seeing in the next few years. I
1: think so. I think, um, and it also comes down to say the the responsibility of the practitioners who are carrying out these procedures to make intelligent choices based on the person who's sat in front of them. Because like you say, you know, when you're 20, you look good because you're 20.
0: You don't need anything.
1: You don't need anything else. It's really straightforward.
0: not need anything. So, I had a girl me. sit down in my clinic on uh, what day is it? It's Monday. So it's Friday. It was all my last patients on Friday. This beautiful girl, she came and sat down next and she, and she looked at me and she, she spoke to me for five minutes about her expectations and what she wanted and what her friends have had. Uh, I, I just looked at her and said, listen, you are a beautiful woman. You're a beautiful young lady. There is literally nothing I can do to you that is going to enhance your beauty, Mm. but there's everything I can do to you. That's going to make you look silly and make me richer. Now what's going to make me sleep better at night. Mm. I want you to go away. I want you to go on the way out, please buy a cleanser. (laughs) (laughs) That's 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 literally all you need from this clinic come back and see me in five years or six years or 10 years. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, things that we might do to keep you looking the way you do now. Yeah. yeah, but That's a great don't
1: need ethical an ethical approach to it. So, um, and that's what you, that's what you're about, right? You know, brand. I think it, it's, there's a, there's a part in the business kind of creation that a lot of people skip. And I work quite hard to put it back into my clients and it's a bit called culture it's the vision and values. It's what do you stand for? Um, you know, who are you? It's like, you know, when you, if, when your dad says to you, what kind of man do you want to be? Um, it's the same question you're asking out of your business, you know, what kind of adult do you want to be? What kind of representation are we going to put? Because I think what people need to remember as entrepreneurs, and we'll jump back into the kind of the business aspect of it in a second, is that your business Follows your philosophy. You're the responsible one. It's your name above the door. So if your philosophy is stack them high, sell them cheap, your business is going to look that way. If your philosophy is take a measured, intelligent approach, long-term win, relationship between you and the client, your business is going to reflect that. So there is always the kind of the panic from not having enough cash in the early stages of entrepreneurialism, but I really think that people should just kind of find whatever way they can to mitigate that and just always focus on the long term.
0: Would you agree? I think so. Um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with different business models. If someone wants to do the, uh, the stack them high, sell and cheap model, you know, that, that's okay. You can do that still within an ethical field. It just means that your service is going to be very, very different you're not going to maybe have the the repeat clients you're not going to have the long term customers who will come back and invest more and more in you as time goes on but you know you'll you'll still you'll still be busy i've i've i deliberately don't want to do that that model um because of my own you know individual ethical approach i i'm i'm not in this business to make a lot of money and believe it or not i don't actually make a lot of money it all gets invested back into the clinic and training and development. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where I can actually pay myself a decent salary still after all these years. Um, but my philosophy is um, to practice healthcare, to improve people's quality of life, to, to, to use the immense technical skill and knowledge that we've amassed to be able to improve people's quality of life. And I, I think the only fair way to do that is to have the complete ethical approach where you give people what they need and you advise them appropriately. So use every tool at your disposal to make sure that that patient is walking away at the end of the day. And when they come back to see you at a review clinic or when they're talking to their friends in a couple of months' time, they actually, they reflect back upon you and you say, you know what? That guy made a difference. That visit to the clinic made a difference to my life. Mm. Not just my lips or my lines or my wrinkles, made a difference to my overall outlook on life and as a result what i want to see is a more productive happier person one of the biggest ones um one of the one of one of the most interesting cases and there have been many but the the one that's popping into mind just now is a lady who had you know debilitating rosacea i mean you wouldn't think a, a little bit of red veins and redness of the skin is debilitating but for this one woman it was it was it was soul destroying it was it was interfering with her ability to work to socialize the amount of makeup she was putting on to cover it up she felt so self-conscious and just by resolving that issue which was actually a straightforward thing to do she absolutely transformed her entire outlook on life and i'll not go into the details but it's the little things that we really can do that make a big difference and it's not for me it's not about the money It's, it's about doing what's ethically and morally right uh, you know my my patients
1: chasing the dollar gets you so far i think um and like well, you, said-
0: Richard, mm-hmm. you and i have both been doing this a long time how many businesses have we seen that have come invested a lot of money done a lot of marketing and disappeared within 12 to 18 months because they were just all about getting the deals group on prices cheap as possible getting the cheapest stuff to do the treatments they, they don't last mm-hmm. No, it's it's a short-term philosophy and it's definitely not an upscalable business model
1: no it's not it's like when you see those guys online you just sort of get the popcorn gif out and just sit and just wait (laughs) and that's what i do and and you guys kind of look at what kit they've got because you know in about 12 months time you're going to be getting that cheap
0: yeah i'm having that i'm (laughs) having that
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't laugh. But um so dropping back on the business, actually that leads on a nice segue to uh my next question actually, which is um, you know, taking it and moving it just, you know, away from the specifics of aesthetics because, you know, business is business, right? You, you know, there are principles that are universal. What would you say is the biggest obstacle that people put in their in, in in their way uh that prevents them from kind of growing a business? I know you say you don't want people to have a business like yours, but the thing that sticks in their way that stops people from achieving what they want?
0: I think it's the belief that they're the most important person in their business. I think it's the belief that they're the person making all the money. They're the person who is responsible for making all the calls for, for dealing with all the administrative tasks. I think it's a, it's a kind of megalomania that affects all of us who are you know uh, entrepreneurs at some point in our lives. And we think we have to do, absolutely everything we need to know the ins and outs of our business and uh, approaching things that way means you don't actually really have the time to commit 100% to the stuff that you're good at Mm. so uh what i would what i advise is you know sit down one day take a big big piece of paper and write down all the tasks involved in running your business and your day-to-day life and write down what you're good at and what you enjoy Find out what you're not and get someone else to do it and get someone else you trust. And I think it's the ability to be able to develop a team. It doesn't have to be a big team. It can be one other person or two other people whose job it is to allow you to do what it is that you love doing. Mm. It's going to, it makes all the difference. You can all of a sudden upscale, you can grow, you can do so much more and you've got more time to do what you love doing and you can trust that everything else is going on. So I think the biggest obstacle is megalomania.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting you say it's a, it's a, it's a trait that a lot of entrepreneurs have definitely. And I th- but also I think learning to delegate is a skill. It's not something people, you'll kind of don't put as much uh, thought into it. You have to learn to do it the same way you have to do, learn to do all the other elements in business, how to delegate, how to share that responsibility. I, had to learn it because I was terrible at it and I don't know if your your mind like works like mine but things need to be created twice right so you have a an idea you need to create it in your mind conceptualize it and then you need to actually physically create it and Mm -hmm. I'm world-class at conceptualizing and getting these things down brilliantly in my mind but then my brain suddenly thinks well that's it it's done now we've made it why isn't it here making us money forgets that we actually have to physically make it and then I just get really irritated with people that they just haven't understood my vision and gone and made it and the art of that is how getting it made is management and also as you say delegation getting the right people in the right place and it builds you get the right thing you share the vision you get the right people doing the right things and suddenly it's created and it took me longer to Understand and appreciate the importance of that then it should have done, um, and you know the you know the history of the the ascetic entrepreneurs and how we grew. And you know if you're listening to this, what Simon sort of said about megalomania is the growth and success of ascetic entrepreneurs is directly attributed, a tr- accountable part to me getting a team and allowing me to do what I'm good at and getting shot of all the bits I'm terrible at um, because. I'm terrible at a lot of things, but I'm also quite good at a lot of things as well. Same as you. <coughs> Simon, I think, even though you refer to yourself as, um, you know, Dr. Ravi Chandran, you are actually a surgeon. Um, I,
0: have, I have an MRCS, so a member of the Royal College of Surgeons. From that, I, uh, I took a staff grade job in ear, nose and throat surgery. and um, my, my passion was facial plastics, always has been I took this job because I had the opportunity to do a facial plastics job. So I spent seven years, um, doing, doing, a, doing a small amount of work, fixing all the broken noses in Lanarkshire, um, <laughs> of which there are many, many broken noses in Lanarkshire and no, a never ending supply of them as well. Um, so, uh, yes, I had, I had a surgical staff grade job working for that, for the health service. Um, I don't know if I still call myself a surgeon. I don't practice surgery anymore. I, I'm I'm in limbo. I don't know. I don't know what to call myself. I'm, I'm just quite happy being Doctor Mister. Whatever anyone wants to call me, I don't take offence.
1: I actually think aesthetic entrepreneur is a title. I think we should stick that. Do you know? What? I'm going to put another two letters after your name. So you're now AE. How's that? There you go. Thank
0: Have. you. The, I'll, is an honorary um, diploma? <laughs>
1: Absolutely, the honorary diploma. Aesthetic entrepreneur. There we go. You're our first one. How 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 that.
0: Brilliant. That's mine. I'm having that. I'm going to put it on the wall.
1: Absolutely. I'll I'll fashion you a certificate. Um, Okay, so we digress there. But yeah, delegation, I think it's a brilliant piece of advice. So
0: if there was one... Delegation, actually, really, um, it's remarkably interesting. Most people who don't know what delegation is, they think it's telling someone to do something. So it's getting a job and saying, you do that. But it's actually a lot more than that. It's actually getting them to do it and then giving them the time frame to do it, making sure they've got this, the, the the resources to do it, checking up at a reasonable time frame to get them to feed back to you or asking them to feed back to you. So there's, there's, a big, there's a big loop involved in effective delegation. And then there's delegation as an educational tool where you've got a job and you know that the best person to do it is say John who's sitting over there. But you also know that Fred who's sitting over there probably isn't the best person to do this job, but Fred needs to step up to the mark. So one day when John's on annual leave, Fred can do it. So it's, right, Fred, will you do this? These are the things that you'll need. I want you to ask John for a bit of help, but not too much help. And then reflecting that back. There are courses after courses after courses you can go on that will teach you how to delegate responsibly. And I went on a few and then I delegated going on the courses to my manager. So she goes on the courses (laughs) and she knows how to delegate.
1: Nah, that's that's uh, that's like Jedi level delegation. When you delegate, you're delegating. That's it. You've reached ninja ninja skills, Brilliant. So, just a couple of questions. then. Um, so if there was one single bit of actionable advice, what would it be? So, one thing that people can take away, and it's like, right, uh, implement this now if you're not already doing it.
0: Hmm. Oh. Okay. Oh, so many different things. You've got to understand your patients. Okay, so let's just take for example: you've got a clinic, you've got a patient base, you're doing okay. You want to get bigger, and this would apply to anyone, no matter what size of business you are. Um, if you haven't done it yet, you need to figure out what it is that your patients want, and there's so many ways of doing it. Um, and uh, what what we do now, we've got a we've got a, a reliable um, database that we send out marketing surveys to. And we don't ask questions like what new services and products would you like? So we can, we can offer them to you. We ask them um, a lot of fairly in-depth detailed questions that they can score on a like heart scale. So it's a one to five scale. And we say, what is it that you are most scared of when choosing an Mm. aesthetic procedure? How likely are you to uh, choose an aesthetic procedure, uh, uh, procedure? Um, do you trust your aesthetic practitioner? Do you trust the industry i'm not that that there's four little things there's there's fifty or sixty questions i'm not going to give the rest of them away you can You can buy them off me for a lot of money or you can work out your own um, but you know you can you can use that information to um, almost mathematically plot a value proposition so you can find out what it is that's most important to people who are thinking about. A procedure, and if you're really clever about it, you can stratify it, you can break it down by demographic, by sex, uh, by, by a whole lot of different things, and you can use that to target messages. To uh, Richard, you talk about the avatar, so you can target messages to the avatar that you want, target stories that they will engage with that will, you know, pique their interest to go right, let's find out some more about this. So, I think the single most Important thing that anybody can action. You know, if you've only got 10 patients and you just started, hey, it's easier. You go and speak to them individually. It's called a focus group and you write down their thoughts and feelings. But you can find out what your patients really, really want, what they think, because your job is to make them happy. So figure out what it is that you can do to make them happy and then put that in a way that resonates with their specific needs that's
1: the one thing. I totally agree with you. It's brilliant. You know, listen to your customers, find out what they want, create the mess, create the the solution for it and then tell them about it in a way that connects with them. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. So, right. Last little bit, the 10 most important questions, quick fire round. Don't take okay. straight answers.
0: Are All you right. ready? Put that down. Then. Put the, I had, I had my answers ready. It's fine. I haven't looked at it.
1: <laughs> but, They're not that challenging. I'll let you into a secret. Okay. Right. Here we go. First question. Beatles or Elvis? Beatles. Superman or Batman?
0: Batman. Yeah. Dark, mysterious. Yes.
1: (laughs) Dark, mysterious, and just a bit mean. Uh, Night owl or an early bird?
0: I am a night owl. I cannot get out of bed in the morning. So this, this myth that successful entrepreneurs sleep 4 hours a night they get up at god knows what hour in the morning they go to the gym they do all this before everyone it's rubbish it, either it's rubbish or i'm not a successful entrepreneur
1: <laughs> no, no no i'm with you there i'm with you there i kind of like not mock them but yeah it, it's part of the whole sort of hustle generation thing isn't it you got the hustle 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 and do this and do that, and if you're not putting 1980s are over.
0: We're not. We're not yuppies in power suits, sort of. You know, needing to get to the city by four in the morning for trading. It's it's done. Okay, yeah. live your life. Enjoy your life.
1: <laughs> Enjoy it and smile. Right, uh, Apple or Android?
0: I'm an Apple guy right now. Things have taken a downturn the last couple of years. I would say so. I am. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm wishing. I, I, I'm. Um, reminiscing of the days when I had Blackberries. Um, but I'm an Apple guy.
1: Uh, I'm an Apple guy too, but if there's anyone here from Apple listening, give me back my headphone jack.
0: Okay. Just give What back. happened to your headphone jack?
1: Well, they swapped it for the lightning thing. Oh,
0: it? gosh, yes, this is nonsense. Shit. Yeah, I know, give I know. It makes life so so
1: difficult. 400-pound audiophile headphones will work because when you put them through your stupid adapter, the sound quality drops.
0: Well, I actually brought my Bluetooth uh, headphones down for this. I've got some really nice um, audiophile headphones that I use, uh, but the battery's flat.
1: Ah, uh, there you go. What headphones have you got? Because I've got some Bluetooth ones, but I just used the Um
0: They're the um, they're the B and O ones. Ah, okay. F- Flash. <laughs> I travel a lot. I like to listen to music when I travel.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. PlayStation or Xbox?
0: playstation always have been always will be
1: absolutely ever since the day one don't get away from me with your microsoft playstation
0: more. one uh croc legend of the globos uh tomb raider the original one yep been Do it, what, done it
1: don't my i still play it now my, one of my favorite is the psp
0: oh is it
1: yeah, I still play Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront on PlayStation Portable and Pro Evolution Soccer on PlayStation Portable. You're
0: kidding me. You know what? I've never played the PSP. We've actually got three of them in the house. We got them for the kids a few years ago and I don't think they play them either. So I might be having that back.
1: Have it back. And, you, and also when you go to you go to get games, the games are like 50p now. They're dirt cheap. Get oh. them the lot. and get your spare because it will become addictive. And then in a five years' time... It's like retro gaming. You won't be able to get hold of any of them.
0: Okay. Right, there we go.
1: Okay. Favourite movie?
0: Of the last 20 years, uh, it's got to be The Matrix.
1: Oh, yes. Excellent thought. See, this is why we're friends. Uh, Song you rock out to? (laughs)
0: Oh, man. Okay. Okay. so I don't know if you'd have uh, heard of these guys because um, it's, it's a new band that I recently came uh, came across. I had the I had the great pleasure of meeting this inspirational young guy um, called Brian Berkheiser. Young lad, covered in tattoos, and we had a chat. Um, and he's kind of like a crossover heavy metal singer. He does the clean vocals in this band, so I'm going to plug it for him on his behalf. He's called I Prevail. I Prevail, and uh, his um, album's called Trauma. And you know what? For the last nine months or so, that album's been my running track at the gym. It is freaking amazing. It's like, um, you know, these guys are going to be as big as Green Day. Go and and check them out.
1: I Prevail, and the album's Trauma. I will check that out. Absolutely will check that out. Thank you for that. Uh, Sun or Snow?
0: Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm kind of... I'm kind of both. Um, I've I've been a scuba diver for like 20 years. Every holiday has got to involve uh, scuba diving. Obviously, I hate scuba diving in the cold, so it's tropical waters. So I love Malaysia, Thailand, Borneo, been everywhere, dived everywhere. But a couple of years ago, we started skiing. Um, you're familiar with the uh, the um, incredible Emma leg breaking skiing <laughs> experience last Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know I love skiing, so I'm kind of better both. I'm I'm both. I'm right in the middle.
1: All right, bang right, in the, right in the middle. Sort of like slush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go to business book.
0: I haven't written it yet.
1: Good answer. Good answer. All right, last question then. Is the best bit of advice you've ever received?
0: Oh, okay. All right, so I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you one that's um, going to get me in trouble, and I'm going to give you one that's real. So, when I told my dad, uh, my dad was a spinal injury surgeon, he uh, uh, worked like a dog, traveled around from lots and lots of different hospitals, and uh, in those days, being a surgeon, the hours were long you were always on call there was no respite you lived the job um so i i said t- i'm going to be uh, i'm going to be doctor, dad i want to be a surgeon just like you uh, and he says okay well my one bit of advice is you need a good wife <laughs> you need a wife who doesn't work who stays at home looks after the kids and will cook and feed you uh you know my wife so
1: um, I was just thinking you paid absolutely I have a good, good wife but at all. not
0: in that sense <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
1: no, but, uh, yeah that doesn't describe it that's bit
0: of advice I ever received I was um, I was doing a bit of elective work in a rural hospital in India a place called Velour, and I was staying with a, a, a guy called um, oh my god I had his name like five minutes ago it's going to come back to me I want you to cut it in <laughs> Oh, uh, Saranjan Bhaticharya, Saranjan, uh, the guy was called Saranjan, and uh, he was—I think he was one of the directors of the hospital. And he was such a, a humble guy. Um, I mean, the doctors in his hospital, at a certain level, these all—all the, all these doctors decided to give fifty percent of their salaries back to the hospital because it was a charitable trust hospital. So they were all taking fifty percent salaries, and fifty percent went back into patient care because they were providing care for patients that couldn't afford it. And when I left, he handed me a book. uh, And the book was called One Minute Wisdom. And it was a hundred little wise sayings from from India. And he he showed me his favorite one. And he said, uh, this is is what I've lived my life by. And this is really, really useful advice. Instead of trying to do one thing 100% better, do a hundred things 1% better. You'll find it much easier and much more rewarding than trying really hard to do one thing a hundred times better. And I think that's really good advice. And I I tell this to other people quite a lot. And what I take from it is you, 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 you can't be the best at one particular thing, but you can be very good at a lot of different things. So if you just take a few things that you do every day or 10 things that you do and try and do each little thing, no matter what it is, just a bit better. And whether that's helping out a bit more about the house being, being kind walking the dog I don't know, uh, speaking to your patients, being friendly with your staff, learning a book, learning a new skill, just put 1% more effort into everything mm-hmm. and life just gets better. That's it.
1: Simon Ravichandran, MBChB, MRCS, AE. Thank you very much on behalf of everyone from Aesthetic Entrepreneurs. That was amazing. Um, thank you very much for your time, mate. And uh, it's always a pleasure.
0: You are very welcome, and it's an honour to be invited onto your podcast, Richard. All right, mate.
1: Take care. We'll speak to you very, very soon. Awesome. See you soon. Bye.
0: Subscribe now for tips, insight, and stories to enhance, empower, educate, and elevate your business to new heights.